It's the biggest shopping day of the year at We Love Toys, and the line outside the store stretches as far as the eye can see. But this year, the shoppers are extra dangerous thanks to an alien parasite that has infected the crowd and turned them into zombies. It's employees versus customers as the infection spreads and the end of the world is nigh on Black Friday. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Josh Allred. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Filmgasm podcast. We're starting off our holiday lineup with a criminally overlooked zombie comedy from last year, Black Friday. In many ways, it's the ultimate retail worker fantasy as well as their ultimate nightmare. I'm excited to dig into the film. Uh, ever since I watched this last year when we were doing sneak preview, I I held it and I preserved it and I kept it on the schedule for the following year because I'm like, we need to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. The oh man, um, it's uh, it's really interesting that there there is this thing with horror movies where any holiday is fair game for putting your twist uh, on it and making it as over the top and as outrageous as possible, more or less kind of amplifying the things that make it horrible if you think about it in in certain contexts. This one was a lot of fun. Um, and I was, I was cautiously optimistic because you see the names right up front and you're like, oh, is this going to be good? And I should have just let myself go and just, and just completely embrace it. But you, you, you get burned one too many times on, on things that, that you don't really hear about. Yeah. So even though he was on the, on the heels of like, kind of like coming back to acting again, uh, Devin Sawa, that is. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. I really enjoy this. And uh, watching it again today, I was like, yeah, I, I really do like this. I really like this a lot. Yeah, it's fun, especially if you've worked in the service industry in any kind of capacity. You you have those moments of like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> like, you can connect to that. And with for me, it, uh, I see Bruce Campbell in a cast. I'm already like 75% interested. So from there... I just I don't have to have much more to get me in, invested. I just love that guy to death. Yeah, absolutely. And he was also a producer for this. So he was able to have more influence on this and work in a capacity that not many people know that he's capable of doing. Um, you know, he he's not going to be Ash Williams anymore. So he still loves acting. He still loves the business. And if there's a way that he can be involved in this, he's he's proven himself to be very good um, as a producer and to foster and work with a director and the rest of a cast to make the best movie possible. And if anybody can find a way to make a low budget movie fun and exciting and engaging, Bruce Campbell's your man. Yeah, he, you know. That's what enti- he built the entire him and Sam Raimi built an entire franchise on that concept. So he's yeah, he's my go to guy for experimental and enjoyable horror. Uh, before we get that much into the film, I do have two updates on the rewind. Uh, first, we got an update on our episode on Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. 
we were finally granted our first look at the unproduced Spider-Man 4 that was supposed to happen before Sony decided to reboot the franchise in 2012 with The Amazing Spider-Man. The original plan went so far that they had props made, including the Wings of the Vulture, who was supposed to be one of the villains. And we got a photo of said wings. And they look pretty fucking vicious, pretty comic accurate. I was impressed. Uh, the Vulture was going to be played by John Malkovich. And while the film never happened, we did eventually get to see the Vulture on the big screen in Spider-Man Homecoming, played by Michael Keaton. But this film, Spider-Man 4, is one of those unproduced holy grails that every Spider-Man fan salivates over. And whenever we get some info on it, inevitably people start thinking, oh, is it finally happening? Is it happening? It's not happening. But we get some production photos, and that was pretty cool to see. Yeah. um, I'm trying to... Okay, so when I was listening to a uh, segment for Mick Garris' podcast where he'll do kind of like an AMA and he'll field questions from people uh the his producer is also a writer and director and he threw out a stat where it's like something like 90 percent of the movies that get pitched don't get made um and that's definitely true and i think there's even podcasts that are totally devoted to movies that never get made um and so those are very interesting stories it's funny that you bring up spider-man because i found one day while I was still floating on the ocean, a um, a copy of a treatment that James Cameron wrote for a Spider-Man movie he wanted to make. <laughs> I read that thing and it is amazing. I would I would have killed to see that movie. So anytime something like that comes out, you're always you always have that. Oh, man, why didn't this get made? Why didn't this get made? So, yeah, I, I really want to check those pictures out and and see how that happened is that treatment the one where arnold schwarzenegger was going to play doc ock and he kept saying okie dokie no this is um this was like electro was the villain and uh-huh. yeah and it's uh it's really fucking dark too uh there's like a whole like sex scene between him and mary jane spider-man and mary jane and yeah yeah it's pretty raw yeah i wonder what draft that was because i've only heard about the one that was like way over the top ridiculous and like Batman and Robin esque and didn't happen. I'd love yeah, to this one. Up. I'll, um, I'll, I'll dig it up and, uh, and I'll send it to you. Um, I, uh, I've started a little collection of unproduced scripts and I've got a, quite a few right now <clears throat> and I'll definitely, uh, I've been trying to get them printed out and just so I can like physically hold on to them and read them and, and shit like that. Cause you know, that kind of stuff is just, it's, it's interesting to me. For, for all the things that we do see, there's infinitely more that we'll never see. So anytime something like that pops out, I I, I had to see it. There's, there's one, I don't know how I could get my hands on it, but I want to get my hands on it. It is, a, it is a script that a guy wrote called Maximum King. And it is this weird, like, meta um, movie about Stephen King making maximum overdrive and he has like all of these characters from his writing coming in as characters talking to him and he's in the midst of like this cocaine fueled binge and so he's just hallucinating and all this crazy you know just talking to jack torrance and pennywise and and all these weird fuckers and that it was it was so like outrageous that it was blacklisted like if anybody was gonna make they would have gotten in so much trouble 
So it's it's one of those things like you're not going to get your hands on it unless you know somebody that that trusts you enough to to let you read that thing. And if somebody ever would let me read it, I would be so happy. Oh my god, that is fucking awesome! Fucking cocaine fueled king multiverse movie. Who the fuck wouldn't want that? Oh my god! Right, right. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, oh. that that is a movie where you could attach the tagline, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. Yeah, definitely. If anybody's listening and they have access or know about this, please send it to one of us. We will we will be so overjoyed. Yes, um, um, Caleb will promise back rubs. I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and put that out there. <laughs> I love unproduced scripts. I love tracking that stuff. I've got Kevin Smith's uh, Superman Lives script which is so bonkers. Um, oh, yeah. No, we're trading. We're trading. I'll get you that James Cameron. The Holy Grail I, I, that I saw, my uncle, he knows people, and he's gotten his hands on some wacky shit. He showed me John Carpenter's Creature from the Black Lagoon remake that he wrote. What? I, got, I have access to that. God. <laughs> That's why uh, you guys got to come, come visit me. You got to come oh. visit me. No shit. Look, there is there is a long term plan between Caleb and I, and we we've talked about this before. Like we need to all the 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 four of us, or you know wh- whoever wants to come and tag along too. Like you know Colton, Isabel, whoever whoever wants to ride can can do this. We want to go to Texas Frightmare, and that would be an excuse enough to go to Texas and try and squeeze in as much madness as possible. So absolutely, fuck yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. I got, yeah, I got a lot of, of cool script shit. I can, I can show you when we uh, tell you about when we're done here. I don't know how much about how much of this stuff I'm allowed to talk about, but that I, that is now talked about. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, getting to see the vulture costume and how far this got before Sony just canned it. It, you know, I, I don't know if it would have been great. I mean, Raimi was kind of making similar mistakes that he made with Spider-Man 3. He was kind of, you know, listening to the studio too much, shoving in too many villains. It felt like it was going to be another Spider-Man 3. But Malkovich as the Vulture is pretty inspired, so that would have been really cool. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, there, 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 aren't, there aren't too many people I would want to see doing that. The only other person I think would be an interesting choice, and I think only because physically he kind of reminds me of the comic book vulture would be like Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Think yeah, about that. Cool. Think about that because the vulture in the comics is kind of goofy, but he's also like, you, you can't sleep on him because he will get your ass. And I think Christopher Lloyd shows that he has the capacity to be a menacing person um when he was the judge in fucking who framed Roger rabbit. Like I was legit scared of that character when i was a kid oh judge doom's the best uh lloyd did a movie a few years ago called i am not a serial killer where he played like well a serial killer <laughs> um, spoiler yeah but it's not it's not what you think is going on like, what's really happening is so insane and there's a moment in the movie where like everything changes and you're like what the fuck but lloyd goes really dark in that and i would love to see that kind of lloyd take on a, a comic book villain like the vulture. That'd be really cool. Uh, also in that movie, um, Bruce Campbell was going to be playing Mysterio, which would have been really cool. He's going to be revealed all of his characters throughout the Raimi trilogy, the wrestling announcer, the usher and the maitre d' 
were all just Quentin Beck with odd jobs. And then he was going to be Mysterio in part four. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> oh, and then Anne Hathaway was going to be the black cat. But I guess they held on to that because she ended up playing Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, Spider-Man 4. This uh, this next bit, this was just hilarious. If I had a lot of money, I would already have bought this. This updates a super early episode that Austin and I did on Hereditary, one of the scariest movies of all time and our 18th episode. First up, did you know that production company A24 has a merch website where you can buy collectibles from the films they've produced, such as t-shirts, posters, and viciously overpriced Blu-rays? Because I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they have like a lot of crap on there. Like they for midsummer, they did a bunch of like, I don't know if it was like books or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I saw the price tag on some of that stuff and I was like, no way. That's kind of how I feel about Mondo sometimes. But I mean, you are getting some pretty rad shit, but I I couldn't see myself parting with that much money for some of the stuff A24 was asking. I was like, I nice did to look at. I dropped about 50 bucks on a Mondo poster for the Batman that I have been waiting for for about eight months. <laughs> so I, I, every couple, every like six weeks, I get an update like, hey, we know you're waiting. We got we're, we're printing them now. We promise I'm on like my fourth update. So I either just donated 50 bucks to Mondo or I will get a poster in, when I'm in my 30s. I don't know. Something's one of the two is going to happen. But uh, our. Aren't they based in Texas? Yeah, I could I could go get I could walk down there and be like, "Where's my poster?" Yeah. If I don't have it by like let's say February, I'll I'll go do that. <laughs> Just show up there like scratching your face. Wait, no, my poster, man. I've been waiting. You guys have been saying it's coming. I haven't seen it yet. What do you, you guys got going on with that? <laughs> Y'all got any more than posters? Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, anyway, A24 is now offering a hereditary-themed gingerbread house kit. I saw that. Yeah, it's like, are you... Ooh, it's First off, it's like super small, but also, like, if you if this isn't your favorite movie, are you even going to recognize that that's from Hereditary? <laughs> um, it's Charlie's Treehouse from the movie, complete with a gingerbread Peter, demon worshippers, and a gingerbread King Payman himself. It's a cast iron mold, so you provide the gingerbread, and you can build your very own haunted gingerbread treehouse for sixty-two bucks plus seven dollars shipping. Which, for for like what is essentially a gingerbread shack, it's not even a house; it's a shack. That's that's a bit that's a bit high. There are people that will pay for that shit though, and then watch, look on eBay, like three or four months later. Sometimes not even that long because it happens a lot with vinegar syndrome. Whenever they do sales, you'll see like the like the day after there'll be people trying to flip what they haven't even gotten yet for two or three times what they're what they're paying for it. It's ridiculous. You're buying a flipped gingerbread house mold from Hereditary. I mean, cool, but I feel like you could spend that money in better ways. Totally, totally. Put some tires on your car, dude. <laughs> Build a fucking real treehouse. Yeah, but it is—it's cool. Like the novelty. If it was cheaper, I would consider it. That'd be a good like gag gift for someone who loves that movie. But 
kind of neat. I was looking on A24's website and I just kept thinking, like, do I need a $50 hat that says A24? <laughs> it's crazy. No, you could just buy a fucking trucker hat and then just spray stencil the logo on there. Four bucks. That's what they're doing. <laughs> That's what you're buying. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's ridiculous, but I'm, I'm not upset. I'm not all that surprised. A24 is an enigma of a company and they produce so much wacky original shit that they're entitled to, you know, gingerbread house, whatever. Good for them. If you're buying it, that's great. Uh, so yeah, those are my updates. I was like Vulture's costume and you can buy a hereditary gingerbread house. It's a fun week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it certainly, uh, it certainly changes the, uh, the landscape for your uh, nativity scene. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, baby Jesus, Joseph and Mary, King Payman. <laughs> Maybe he was there. I don't know. Hey, and he always been there. Oh, that's such a fucking creepy movie. I love that movie. <laughs> uh, so before we get started, my question for you revolves around the yearly tradition of Black Friday. A day after we give thanks for what we have, we line up outside Walmart and kick the shit out of each other so we can get 60% off an Xbox. It's the American way. Every year, people die, usually from being trampled to death. And basically, I just would like to know your thoughts on that. Josh, why do you think people are willing to literally kill each other for Black Friday discounts every year? Uh, So they can participate in a more primal uh, practice of being the first one to get something and to literally crush your enemies in order to get the thing that your family so desperately wants um and probably screwing over your friends as well it's to me you can't get any more american than a holiday that is completely devoted to consumerism there are people that max out credit cards i know people that set up separate savings accounts just for shit like this not even joking they plan for this shit and it sucks because for me I try to I try to prioritize accordingly to what I would like. I mean, I'm I'm just as guilty as anybody else. You know, you see these things advertised and all of the discounts and discount this, discount that. This is 40, 60, 70% off. And it's just it's it is so uh so it's overwhelming because you don't know where to fucking start. You start looking at the stuff in front, like I've, like I've looked at my TV before during Black Friday, so I've been like, no, I'd probably just get a new one. You know, I can, you know, who cares if just start another credit card and just go buy a TV and just pay it off for the rest of the year and, or, oh shit, I can get this, I can get these presents for my kids cheaper now. And it's like, fuck, like you're, it forces you to like, not think clearly just to spend consume this is a fucking holiday that john carpenter should make a fucking movie around like if this isn't some they live shit where it's just like consume obey buy like i don't i don't know what is well i love the term that uh bruce campbell brings into the movie where he uh competitive shopping where it's (laughs) like it's a fucking race it's crazy people just you know they're plowing through people i always think of the south park episode where it's like the night's watch at the mall they're preparing for the for Black Friday. 
it's it's insane. I always, you know, every year it's announced, you know, someone was crushed to death or someone to pull that pulled out a gun. People go ape shit. I thought this was just an American thing, but no, this has gone global. Uh, well, yeah, but we 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 definitely uh, we invented it. We definitely did that shit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. I, I had an uncle who used to camp out at Best Buy there, uh, on Thanksgiving night, so he could be like among the first to get in there and get a TV or a PlayStation or something. Uh, I typically don't really, I don't, I don't bother with that. Like I might go like shopping, you know, midday or something, but mostly now I just look online for like my websites and what they're doing. Like I, you know, arrow had a sale. I went there, but I don't need to risk my life for a flat screen. It's just not worth it. Oh no. I, no, I don't, I don't give a shit about that. Um, I uh, I actually have uh, so Caleb and I are allowed access to what's called the Navy Exchange, and it's basically just like a department store. And for us, we get everything tax free. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes they'll do they'll do certain specials and things like that. Um, so you know, looking at a TV and stuff, whatever the price is right there, like that's what I get it for. So I I usually don't have to you know go digging around, but I did catch myself. Hey walking by a 75 inch uh tv and going ooh ooh that would be nice ooh and i keep telling myself when i buy a house i'm getting one of those because you should have a 75 inch tv in your living room of course yeah i've always wanted a tv that big i can never afford it but maybe i just need to join the navy and wait for black friday or you know just go get a best buy card and pay off pay pay on it for months on end to where the tv you originally bought for eleven twelve hundred dollars is now three thousand now you're like my way's easier (laughs) uh yeah one day that would be nice um i wonder like if i'll have to like choke out a grandma or elbow one of those like rascal scooter people in the face just to get just to get that tv no what you should do is you should elbow the old lady off the rascal commandeer it so you can get there faster. <laughs> and if anybody, if anybody tries to get in front of you, you just fucking ram them. You know what I'm saying? Spark is shit. <laughs> that is a good plan. Good plan. Okay. I got a question. What would you stand in line for? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I got my PS5 online, so that was taken care of. There's not really anything I need or want. If I had, like, if we're talking, like, you know, theoretical, if I could get my hands on, like, I don't know, like a piece of, like, Back to the Future memorabilia that's, like, unique to the film, I would do that. What if you had to stand in line and be among the first... 25 people to actually get a hardcover of oh god what is the damn name of the book oh, fuck the Stephen King fucking uh, school shooter book Rage? Yes Yeah alright I kicked some ass for that <laughs> Yeah if, it, if there's 25 and it's the first 25 I'm getting in that door Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out we all have a price. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, definitely. What about you? Um, fuck. It would probably either be some kind of film like memorabilia or something. I don't know that I would stand in line for just a movie. Um, but if it was probably like some kind of exclusive, like rare thing from Dawn of the Dead or something, like if they were like, Hey, if you are among the first 10 people that are in line for this, you will get, you know, a fucking a, a, a section of the film or something. And, you know, it was signed by George. I would fucking do that. I would absolutely trip somebody's fucking grandma and walk over her and say, sucks to be you, granny, just to go get that. And I would not feel bad about it because it would be mine. One of my favorite Christmas movies is Jingle All the Way. I I love that movie to death. And, I'll you know, when I have kids, I'm never going to have to stand in line and, like, wait to get that hot Christmas toy because that just doesn't exist anymore. Like, you know, my kid's going to want like the you know, the PS seven. <laughs> I'll have to go get that. But yeah, I just, I love the way consumer culture and Christmas have become so intertwined that they're inseparable now. And the Christmas spirit is being, you know, d- manufactured now. It's, it's wild. Oh, yeah. And Black and- Friday is the ultimate example of that. Well, and, and to and to caveat that, I would definitely punch another dad in the face for a toy for my kid. I I know. <laughs> as <laughs> as as cliche as that sounds, um, seeing a smile on my kid's face and I did something for that, it is better than any drug. I'm picturing you coming home like bruises. You got someone else's blood on your shirt, but you've got like the Christmas doll that that she was after and you're just like so happy. Oh yeah. And I would be super pissed if they if she if like my daughter looked at me and she like she's got the wrong dress, dad. I'd be like, you're gonna fucking like this dress. That's what you're gonna do. Make a new one. I don't know. You know what I had to do to another man to get this? <laughs> you know why this box is dented? Because I smashed it on his face. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Feliz God bless us, everyone. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, Black Friday. It's so odd. So real quick, before we get into the film, I did want to explore the origins of Black Friday in America. Uh, we started this shit, but it's since found its way into other countries, such as uh, Great Britain, Australia, Canada, Germany, Poland, Italy, Mexico, New Zealand. Pretty much any capitalist country has Black Friday. <laughs> Uh, why? Where'd this come from? So there's a lot of rumors behind Black Friday. Like some people said it was uh, referring to the financial crisis, uh, the crash of U.S. gold in September 24th, 1869. They called it Black Friday. That's bullshit. Another myth that it was um, it was started by uh, plantation slave owners who could buy slaves at a discount the day after Thanksgiving. That is also not true. I don't know who the hell started that, but they need fucking dark. Yeah. Like, holy shit. That was not a pun, by the way. Jesus Christ. Hey, look, Ah. I'm trying to cover all bases here, man. I don't (laughs) want anybody going, wow, the 
those guys, they, they just went too far this time. No, that look, sometimes I just say stuff and I don't mean it to be either funny, which I will take full credit for after the fact. I also don't mean to say things that are terrible and can be received in the wrong way. I don't know. This wasn't your idea. This was some sick bastard who's like, I got a story for you. You want to hear where Black Friday comes from? <laughs> God. So this is what really happened. Back in the 50s, and actually this comes up in the movie, um, police in Philadelphia used the term to describe the chaos that ensued on the day after Thanksgiving when hordes of suburban shoppers and tourists would flood into the city in advance of the big Army-Navy football game that held that was held on that Saturday every year. So Philly cops were not able to take the day off, and they had to work extra long shifts dealing with additional crowds and traffic. Shoplifters also took advantage of the mania in stores made off of merchandise. So the cops were just like, ah, shit, here comes Black Friday, because everything sucked. And yeah, it, it caught on in, by 1961. And so the, uh, the city's merchants and boosters tried unsuccessfully to change it to Big Friday, in order to remove the negative connotations. Like, people don't like Black Friday. Maybe they'll like Big Friday. I don't or know why I find that hilarious. Friday. Or Green Friday, because it's not racist. <laughs> oh, man. The term didn't spread to the rest of the country till much later. And around 1985, it pretty much became common nationwide. In the late 80s, they tried to reinvent Black Friday, turn it into something positive. So they started to... Uh, make these crazy over-the-top deals to inspire people to shop. So that's what happened. Philly cops hated the extra work they had to do. It caught on nationwide. Retailers were like, hey, we can use this. Black Friday. That's crazy. Yeah. Why Why not just tell that story? Why try to fuck with people and tell them it's about slavery? Why, why, would, you, why would people do that? I mean, look, if it was never like debunked i could i could see people latching onto that only because slavery is as terrible as it was and in parts of the world still does exist in one form or another so the fact that the people who organize those things can have a sense of humor about it absolutely if 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 you had just pulled that out i'd have been like yeah that makes sense and never would have questioned it until you would have followed up that followed that up with it's all bullshit though. Oh, all right. Well, the right, the way we found out it was bullshit was a, a few years ago that story started circulating and social justice warriors were like cancel Black Friday. We're not celebrating that anymore. It's a, it's a racist ho- holiday and then historians had come out and say like well actually no, it's Philly cops hating their job. It's got nothing to do with slaves. So that's why we that's why that got debunked because people tried to cancel it. And retailers are not canceling Black Friday for shit. Oh, hell no. Uh, Do you want to know another interesting fact about Philadelphia? Sure. Uh, Do you know that the Philadelphia Eagles fans are known as some of the most uh, notoriously uh, abusive fans in all of football? Very much so. Half my family's from Philly. So they're big Eagles fans. So, you know, about them, uh, fucking Santa Claus up with snowballs. 
I didn't hear that. I didn't hear about that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. True story, video and all. Like there is fucking footage of Philly fans pelting Santa Claus with snowballs. I can't remember the context of it, but they totally did that shit. And you're just like, damn. Philly fans don't even want Santa Claus fucking up their game. They straight up fucking just pelted him with snowballs to get him out of the fucking game. Like, holy shit. There you go. That is beautiful. That's a Philadelphia Christmas right there. Yeah, no shit. Ho, ho, ho. Get the fuck out of my way. I remember reading this story about this hitchhiking robot that was built that, uh, would like try to you know hitch rides across Canada. The uh, the objective was to make it from one side of the country to the other, and it made it successfully. It was this robot that would just like stick a thumb out. People would drive past it, pick up the robot, take it to wherever it said it needed to go, and it worked like a dream in Canada. They tried it in the United States, and it got the shit kicked out of it in Philly, and the the job was over. But that was it. It didn't make it out of Philadelphia. <laughs> What is it about that place? What is it? <laughs> the ground is sour. It's hilarious. It's it's so weird. It's why I love the show. It's always sunny in Philadelphia because it's like a perfect reflection of that crazy fucking city. Ah, okay. So now to the movie. <laughs> Black Friday was directed by Casey Tebow, who also directed the 2016 horror comedy Happy Birthday and the 2021 marijuana documentary Barely Legal. Have you uh, have you seen either of those? No, Uh, I also know that he uh, did a lot of music videos and stuff prior to uh, that. And he also did a documentary about Aerosmith. Very nice. And he uh, it was kind of like a retrospective kind of thing. and Adam Green was actually one of the uh, the talking heads for it. Uh, he's a huge Aerosmith fan. He's from Massachusetts, so makes sense. And that was how he came to know uh, Casey. So they were um, when they were on the Yorkie-thon from last year, coinciding with the release of this. Um, they they talked a little bit about some of that along with some interesting things about the production and kind of how they had to work around it. Cause this movie was shot during COVID. So they um, Casey and Bruce Campbell were on there talking to uh, Adam Green and Joe Lynch about it. And they were just kind of sharing stories about, you know, what was appealing uh, for them about the script and what they wanted to do with it as well as, really basic things like trying to communicate from Casey to Bruce about what he wanted from the scene and even shit like the atmosphere they were trying to make for the, for the movie and certain scenes and how they were limited because of what the COVID restrictions were. And then they found out that those restrictions only applied to them because down the road, fucking Netflix was shooting. Don't look up. And they were blowing shit up and smoke and all the fires and all this shit. And they couldn't do any of that. So they had to in camera with lighting tricks and things like that, manufacture those things. (laughs) And if Casey wanted to talk to Bruce about something, uh, the actors were kind of kept away from everybody else. They were masked up until they were on camera 
there on set, Casey had a mask and a face shield on trying to talk to Bruce about, you know, what, you know, anything they wanted to go over. And that was like even harder. Bruce is making jokes about it. You know, he's like, I don't know what the hell he's saying. You're like, come on, guys. Well, we got this. Don't worry about it. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Bruce Campbell was very excited just to be working uh, because everything, you know, I mean, the whole world was fucking shut down. So like <clears throat> the fact that they could even have a film in production was exciting. And he was really interested in the idea. He had a lot of really good actors in it as well. You've got Devin Sawa, you've got Michael Jai White, you know, some other people that are very into low budget genre uh, filmmaking. So you have very seasoned people like that. It only serves to help you in making this kind of movie. These people know that you come to set, you know your lines. You're not going to be ad-libbing. You're not going to be improving a lot of things. You're there to get the work done and get this movie made on time and under budget. Yeah. Well, I think it worked out, you know. I'm glad that they were able to make something during, you know, that fucking nightmare that I'm hoping, I don't know if it's, I think it's too early to call it a cult film, but I, I think it's going to be one. I like it. I think a lot of people liked it. It's a, it's an enjoyable movie and you know, it's a, it's going to be a black Friday staple. I'm going to watch this instead of going out and getting stepped on for TVs. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for anything like that. And it also has the added, the added angle of, it being a retail or service industry type job. And that was a note that I made watching this. Like, I know what that's like. I know working on holidays when everybody else is out enjoying themselves and everybody's all super nice and cheery to you and you're sweaty and smelly and you know, you're not going anywhere for the next eight to 10 hours. So you're not getting into any of that. And you've had to try and plan your shopping around all of that shit. And you have to like look at friends and family and be like, yeah, sorry, not going to be there for that. You know, I'd love to hang out with you guys and hate you in 15 minutes after, you know, we finish Thanksgiving dinner because you're drunk and you're spouting off weird fucking shit again. And uh, I'm going to be working, not even getting paid extra, just working. Yeah, I remember those days when I worked at Draft House. You know, it's not it's not retail, but it is. You know, it's a movie theater. It's a, it's a restaurant. It's food service, and movie theaters are never closed. They're open every day, holidays. Like, there's no, you don't close a movie theater unless the power's out. And I had to work. You know, Thanksgiving. I I managed to get out of Christmas pretty much every time by lying about something. But I had to work Thanksgiving quite a few times and it sucked. Nobody ever really came to the movies and the people who did were just depressed. So it was just kind of irritating. But yeah, I love movies like this that hammer home how much it sucks to be in that position. Because it just, you know, I have instant like connectivity. I'm like, okay, now I'm now I'm invested. I like these people. I get it. I've been there. Let's do this. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the things about a good a good horror movie and one that you can enjoy is when you do care about the characters and that is a fundamental element of 
any good movie is if you don't care about the characters that you're watching, you're not going to get anything out of the movie. It's not going to be enjoyable. You can look at these people and, and for me, like I can, I can pick out certain characters and I can latch onto them more so than others with uh, Devin Sala's character. Now that I am where I'm at, I, I immediately identify with him a lot more than, you know, like, the the germaphobe chris or even uh jonathan the manager or manager i never noticed that the first time and then i watched the movie and i saw it his fucking award his 1996 best regional manager i fucking cracked up i laughed so hard i was like why am i laughing so hard at this it was like Oh, because he's proud of being the manager of the year and probably hasn't even noticed since 1996 that it's spelled manager instead of manager. <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, Bruce Campbell's an industry vet. He's, you know, he commands respect in the horror community. And I think his involvement, I mean, it's what immediately, I, it's why I wanted to watch it as soon as it came out. I rented it because I'm like, oh, Bruce Campbell. I immediately thought Shop Smart, Shop S Smart. I was a little bummed there was no no nod to that, but I get it. It's a different franchise, different movie. He's doing his own thing. But you think Bruce Campbell working retail? That's the first thing that's gonna pop into your head. Sure. Yeah. And and I think and I think that's what really makes him stand out a lot more in this than it would if he were to just play that. And I don't think he would have done it if that would have been the character that they would have, you know, said, hey, Bruce, we got a character for you. It's this guy. And he's like, yeah, no, I've done that already. And he really relished playing what he liked to call the loser manager and how it was something that nobody was going to expect from him. And. I actually I actually really liked him and they talked a lot about that where originally that character was just going to like die like a loser. He wasn't going to kind of get the moment that he did. And it was because of conversations between uh, Casey Tebow and Bruce Campbell. They redid that. They gave him an actual arc where you got to see him. You know, because at one point they're talking, you know, he's like, oh, what about Thumb going down with the ship? He's like, yeah, well, I guess I changed my mind. And and you're wondering, like, oh, you're going to be that asshole, are you? And no, he like he goes for it. He really does that. He goes down with the ship and it's admirable. And you're not really sure that he's capable of it because he does literally use people as human shields throughout the movie and tries at all of these different points to not get involved but always trying to like hype people up and pet people up and keep their spirits up like a manager does. And then when it's actually time for you to do something, those people 99% of the time just fall flat on their fucking face because they are so ill-equipped to handle that kind of situation, but he does it. And, and that's, and that's what I really loved about Bruce Campbell's character. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It wasn't Ash. It was a, the kind of guy Ash would hate to work for. Totally. Oh yeah. No, he would have been, he would have been hosing him, lying to him, swindling him, doing anything and everything he could to not work and to try and bang the hottest girl there. 100%. (laughs) Ah, yeah. 
So Black Friday was filmed in a month in Boston. Got a super limited release because COVID. Uh, it grossed a little over fifteen hundred bucks. Which That's is... a fucking crime, right? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, it went straight to Blu-ray and streaming. It's currently on Stars. I stumbled onto a cheap Blu-ray at Best Buy for like eight bucks, and I was like, "Yeah, all right, I'd like to open this." Uh, Black Friday has an IMDb score of four point six, which is fucking what uh letterbox score 2.4 out of 5 again like that's lower than a lot of stuff we've talked about on beyond the bad and a rotten tomato score of 65 with an audience score of 34 no curtis consensus so like e- e- people kind of hate this like people who, who review movies did not care for this i don't really get where that comes from like where what's the problem where, where's the beef so funny you should mention that because that was actually another thing that they talked about and it was because Casey does pay attention to like what the critics and what the fans are saying about the movie. And Bruce like turned it over to him. He's like, so what were they saying? And what was the consensus? And he was like, and people were pretty much pissed off that you weren't playing Ash. And, and Bruce Campbell was like, look, and he gave the best answer about it. He was like, it's like, look, you're always going to have that no matter what you're always going to have people that still want him to continue to play that character. And even though he has made his peace with it, he has hung up the chainsaw and done it. And he even came back. He was like, even if I were to put the chainsaw on, there are people would still be upset about it, that I wasn't doing it the way they want it to be done. He's like, you can't change that. He's like, you just have to go there and do your job, make the movie that you want to make. And that's all you can do. And if they don't like it, that's on them. He's like, but you can't, you can't help that. You can't control that. So you just got to just, you have to make peace with it. And he made peace with it. And I'm very, uh, I I was, I was kind of blown away by how just like matter of fact, he was about it. I also got to think this guy has been in the business for 40 odd years doing what he's done and having to live with that character being like attached to him when everybody sees Bruce Campbell, they see Ash. You can't, you can't separate them. Um, Not for lack of trying, but Bruce Campbell handled it admirably. And it, it's great. Um, There's also, I I do want to, I do want to bring this up only because it's fucking awesome. Cause you have met Bruce Campbell. So, you know that I'm not like, I'm not like making any of this shit up. And Joe Lynch had met him at a convention back in like the early nineties, right before uh, army of darkness was supposed to come out. And he was there with a friend of his and Joe had an evil dead two poster. He wanted to get signed and his buddy had walked over with a bootlegged copy of army of darkness. And his friend was like should i get him to sign it and joe's like you do you man joe knew it was going to be a bad idea and he put it in front of him bruce like where'd you get this and the guy was just like oh fuck and he's like that guy over there bruce walked over with the tape and like slammed it down on it on there was like where what where'd you get this He's like, and it was like, all right, fine. He grabbed the tape and he fucking just ripped it in half, just fucking crushed it. And he was like, 
if I see any of these floating around here, he's like, I'm coming, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. Because it's shit like that. And this was 30 some odd years before the shit that happened with fucking Ash versus Evil Dead and what pirating did to kill that show. But everybody was like, oh, aren't you making another season? Because you fuckers killed it. That's why. You fucking did that. The fans of the show did the thing to the show that killed the show. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, he and he even said it. He was like, there's some of the greatest fans, but they also boot like the shit out of stuff. And it's it's sad that that kind of thing happens. And then you try to go to the person that did, does it, and you're like, okay, can you sign this, dude? Like, you might as well be fucking wiping your ass and fucking trying to shake his hand or something. Like, it's just fucked. Yeah, that's it's amazing that anyone would think like that. Like, oh, he'll love this. Like, what? No. Why would you? You're stealing from him. Like, why would you? Why would he like that? And yeah, every time I, I met Bruce Campbell on three separate occasions, and every time he would bring up, like, all you got to do is download the Stars app, do the free trial. You can binge the whole show in a weekend. We need the numbers every time. And yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised that like people who've been wanting Evil Dead 4 for 20 years when they essentially got it, they didn't watch it or they watched it illegally and fudged the numbers. And that, you know, that's a big part of why he hung it up. He's like, if they don't care, I don't care, which sucks. Like I didn't, he kind of got forced out and yeah, that's a bummer. Cause you know, I, I did my part. I watched Ash versus evil dead all three seasons on stars. I love that show. Cause I love him. And I love that he wanted to do that for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fucking bummer. And then those same assholes killed this movie because they're like, he's not Ash. Why would I watch it? Ugh. Fuck them. Just It just shows like no matter what you do, you can't please everybody. And you as the creator have to just understand that once you make something and put it out there, you have no control over how people receive that. There's nothing you can do as much as you have your intent and you hope that people align with it and can see what you are trying to do with it. Or even if they see something else that you're like, Oh shit, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And they can appreciate it from that aspect. It's you're just going to drive yourself nuts. And I had to learn something. I had to learn that really early on when I was, you know, sharing my, my short stories for the first time with other people and you you're you're so excited because you're like oh I can't wait to see what these people think about it and then they say some shit and you're just like what huh no no what no no I don't need a therapist I don't know why you would say that but you you just have no control over it and you just have to make peace with it and just once you set that little bird out there it's it's gonna fucking fly or it's gonna die. Oh yeah, I know, man. I uh, I used to belong to a creative writing club in my undergrad, and I always thought the objective of that club was write something, bring it, and talk about it. Well, I had just finished my manuscript for my first book, and I was I wanted feedback. I can't get feedback from my family because they give me the oh this is great, we're gonna put that on the fridge feedback, which never helps me. So I look for objective sources, and I brought my book to these people, and there was an immediate like. I don't want to say jealousy, but like irritation, like, oh, he has something. 
And I'm like, well, yeah. And they were like, I gave them the first chapter and I got like really weird feedback. Like somebody called it trite. I'm like, ouch. <laughs> like, it's just vampires in the old West. Like I'm not right. I'm not rewriting the, the American novel here. It's just, it's vampires. But yeah, it's funny when, you know, people don't, I, I don't know. It's you bury your heart on your sleeve with your work and some people just step on it. You don't know. You don't know if that's going to happen. You don't know why it happens and it doesn't always happen, but when it does happen, it's hard to reconcile with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you're, you're making yourself vulnerable and, for me especially i i don't really do that often and so when i do put myself out there like i i i i took it personally at first and i really had to learn that either somebody is like in in at least how i would have chosen to look at it um the people that said negative things like that to you about it like if that was my stuff i would have just i would have just been like wow you're really fucking jealous, aren't you? You're just fucking sad that you haven't come up with something like this and that somebody, you know, has taken the time to actually like put forth some work and you have this pretentious idea that you are going to be the fucking next Ernest Hemingway or some dumb shit. Like nobody fucking writes like that anymore. And you're trying to have some like postmodern deconstruction of the American novel and the, and masculinity and well, shut the fuck up. Like you're just exactly you're fucking stroking yourself off and you're getting high on your own farts, buddy. And I'm telling you, they stink later that year. I entered that book into a contest and I, I made it to the like quarterfinals. And one of the judges compared my work to John Carpenter and that made me feel that bolstered my entire life in terms of my work. I've never felt better. So I'm going to go with what that guy said. Yeah. Cause you're sitting up there judging books for a reason. Not this fucked hard sitting in my fucking creative writing group that fucking can't fucking string a fucking sentence together. Yeah. I never went back to the club. I was like, I don't need this. So yeah. And you know, I mean, we do that with, with this show. We're doing that every week. We're, you know, making something our own. We're putting it out there and we're inviting criticism. We're inviting praise, you know, whatever you see in it. And because I've done so many of these now, I am fucking numb to that shit now. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Like one time, um, not to get too much off on a tangent, but one time um, I looked on Twitter after I posted uh, an episode coming out, you know, and I, and I always try to. I don't know how to make it happen, but I'd like try to like just ask open-ended questions like, Hey, what'd you guys think about this? You know, is there something that you would like for us to do or, or what stood out? Literally somebody replied, it was okay. And I was just like, the <laughs> fuck? That's it. It was, a, I mean, not that I'm like, it was okay. I'm just like, I mean, all right. Th that doesn't, that doesn't answer the question I asked. All right. I mean, give me something people, give me something to work with. It's like you're asking for feedback. Like, are there any movies you want us to see? And somebody just says, no. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> Your silence was no enough. I don't need you to actually spell it out for me. And not that I have, and not that I have a problem with like anybody saying something to me about the things that I say or how I feel about things, because I know personally, I, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. My opinions are different. The way I package my words is very, I'm, I'm not going to say unique, but it is me. And 
I've definitely uh, I've definitely drawn some stares and some giggles from you over the years, and I appreciate it because you are just you are accepting it, and if and and even if you don't agree, like I I can appreciate you because you don't you you you're not afraid to say that, and that's, and and that's how it should be. Well, that's what I want with this show. Like, I don't want anyone kissing my ass. I don't want anyone lying about what they feel about a movie to impress me or something. And I certainly don't want anyone to hide their true self. I want, I want the people who want to, you know, who want to be here, who want to be themselves and celebrate this shit. And you guys are the best at that. So yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah. So take that anonymous asshole in Connor's creative writing group, circa whatever year you suck. Yeah. And guy who bootlegged Army of Darkness in 93. Fuck you too. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> that was a good that was a good way to bring it back around to the movie we're talking about connor damn right king king of the segues (laughs) oh with that let's let's talk some highlights of black friday what did we like about this movie Um, uh i actually like that this movie is like lean and mean it does not fuck around getting to the fucking point and even in like the very beginning when you get the uh get the guy fucking in the store at night and he finds the little goop right then and there. It's like, you're, you're barely like two minutes in and you're already like, ah, oh, shit. And once you find out that Devin saw us going to that store, you're like, oh, shit. You see all the assholes lined up outside. You're like, oh, shit. Hmm. And it doesn't mess around. And I fucking love that. And because too many times a movie can fucking try to go around its ass to get to its elbow to set something up. And this movie ain't messing around. I love that. It's fucking tight. It's it's like 84 minutes, I think, is the runtime. And that's including credits. So, like, this movie is not fucking pulling any punches. Well, I really like the explanation for why there's a horde of zombies. The horde was already there. It's just Black Friday shoppers, and they get infected. I like that. There's no runaround with that. Um, And I love Bruce Campbell's intro. You know, Jonathan doing his, like, you know reinforcing the workers manager speech from the safety of his office <laughs> just like you know telling we everybody the the fucking osha statistics oh <laughs> uh, the build-up's great just you know black like thanksgiving night getting to see you know devin sawa's family and his kids were bummed that they had thanksgiving breakfast and trying to convince his daughter that he's a hero and Chris, I think his name is, just having like the worst family. <laughs> we're just like, we're trying to eat here and just not giving a shit. No, his dad is a total dick. Oh my <laughs> God. I almost wish he would have showed up at the store so Chris could have smashed his face or something. That that probably would have been the only other thing I would have wanted to see. But it also would have gone against the way they had established his character as being somebody who is completely disinterested in his son's life and only wants to shovel pie in his fat face. I love when the mom's like, do you have to work Thanksgiving, honey? And he's like, is dad still charging me rent? <laughs> dad just glares at him. He's like, looks like it. <laughs> ah, oh boy. So yeah, the first attack, we already, you know, we established everybody's characters. Jonathan's the, the, the no-nonsense manager. Brian's the asshole floor manager. Chris is the, you know, new guy. Devin Sawa is the, you know, the cool older guy who, doesn't realize he's not cool and they all just deal with black Friday. And then 
shit starts going down and Chris immediately reacts. He, as soon as somebody like attacks him, he pulls the ball thing down and smacks her with a skateboard. Awesome. Like there's no like, oh, something's wrong. It's shit. And then immediate reaction. I like that. Well, I think and and for me, it fits his character because he would definitely be one to overreact and just panic that somebody was coming after him because he's they, I mean, he's you know, he does not want to be touched by people <laughs> giving him hugs and shit. He's like, no, 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 we don't. No, I don't want that. Um, the. Uh, the oh, shit, I'm about to lose it. Um the uh the yeah the assistant manager or whatever the guy brian he fucking cracked me up too because like i have worked for people like that i've worked for people that think they have power and they don't they're just the biggest fucking kiss ass and oh god um interestingly enough uh there was a there's a nice little quote um that Bruce Campbell had about this movie. He called it uh, the breakfast club with carnage and mayhem. So if you think about, you know, all of these different characters and then you insert them into this very scenario, like it, it makes sense Um, right up to, you know, their, their nice little, uh, nice little bonding moment um, where they fucking are pulling off their name tags and talking about how long they've been there and shit. Um, which you don't normally get in, in a horror movie. Um, and so I think it was, it is a testament to how the, the script was written to have a moment like that, where you can get, get a little bit closer to these people as they're in this wild ass scenario. I was actually quite impressed with how quick they went from, you know, oh, fuck why do we have to be here on fucking black friday it's, ugh, it's such stupid fuck. and to where they're like i will kill every one of these asshole shoppers because how many of you i'm talking to you dear listener how many of you have had that shitty job where you have to deal with entitled rude just hateful ass people they hate you for doing your job and aren't you know, catering to their every whim. How many times have you not wanted to do that? That shit was very cathartic for me quite a few times when like, you know, smashing some dickhead with a skateboard or um, that fucking uh, the, the old haggy granny who ends up turning into like this big weird raptor fucking zombie alien thing like and her getting her fucking comeuppance like those little bits man oh so good this movie could have been called give me a reason like (laughs) it's retail like you just i in that in that situation you just want an excuse to deck a customer and if they're zombies all of a sudden it's a green light like they didn't think twice (laughs) all bets are off you you know like uh michael jai white coming out coming out of the woodwork with the fucking nail gun fucking pop 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 like, yeah, of course. Of course you've wanted to do that. Who doesn't? When it comes to Brian, like, that archetype is so real. It's the real horror in this movie is not the zombies. It's waking up one day and realizing you spent eight years of your life working at a toy store. When all you wanted to be was a dentist. Yeah. Uh, and like- so I'll, I'll I'll give you another little tidbit that, like, really hit home for me. 
um, when uh, Devin Sawa had pulled off his name tag and he's like, I've loved toys for 10 years. I got laid off and I told my ex-wife that this was just going to be a temporary job. I was like, I was at a point where I was going nowhere and I knew it, but I was also trying to be too proud and ignore it and thinking that I could make, I could make something happen. And I had to suck up a lot of pride in order to come to terms with the fact that I hadn't really done enough to get where I wanted to be. And then I fucking joined the Navy and it was like, I could have done this sooner and set myself up to where probably now I wouldn't have to worry about any of that shit, but you know, life, you, you, you just have to deal with, you know, whatever life throws at you and you can either choose to just settle in and get comfortable or be uncomfortable and force yourself to do better. And I, I definitely uh, resonated with that moment where he just like, he realized that he had just fucking wasted so much time working this shitty fucking job and kind of just being comfortable in that. And he almost in a way, like he needed this to happen. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, in this movie, like they, it's a wake up call and that that's great. Um, when I worked at draft house, uh, Austin was my, my supervisor. I don't know if anybody, but I've talked about that. Like he was the no. show. <laughs> they answered to him. And, uh, Part of like a big, you know, we bonded over film, but also we bonded over this is a, sh- a shit job and nobody should take it seriously because there were so many people who treated this as like, this is where I have power. So kneel before me. And I, we hated those people so much. There's just one little shit. He, I was promised a shift leader position and then this guy got it. And he'd been there for like two months. I wanted to wring his neck. He was a skinny little asshole. I won't name him, but he Austin knows who I'm talking about. We still talk about this guy. Um, <laughs> and he just used that power. He would like make us do jobs that weren't on the schedule. Cause he just wanted us to do them. And it would just, we hated him with this one manager. He was a nice enough guy, but he would constantly tell us quote, get excited, which, Oh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, all, all environments like that are pretty much identical behind the scenes. They all have the same people, the same, you know, GM who's gung ho and just their acolytes and the people who don't give a fuck. Cause this is not life or death. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know if Austin's seen this. I think he would really like this, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why, that's why I like waiting. That's like another one of my favorite movies. I mean, and and it definitely hits way more closer to home because I worked in restaurants for so long and I saw so many scenarios like that. So many horror stories. Like I've I've told them to people before and like they have literally looked at me like, how could you? How could you? Like, I didn't do it. It was somebody I worked with. But how could you let that happen? Hey, it was funny. That's how. (laughs) What's that rationale? Like, hey, don't put that on me. It was funny. Yeah, no. And it's still funny. No way. I have long lived by the South Park rules. Everything's funny or none of it's funny. Yeah. It's all about context. I was raised never, you know, never be 
Never treat someone like shit if they're handling your food. Like, that's a big one, you know? Be nice, and nobody's going to spit in your food. Oh, pro- probably. There's a there's a less chance there's less chance of it happening let's just say that. oh yeah 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 way less chance but then if you ask us to do it oh we're doing it <laughs> straight up oh uh, yeah see i just gotta not think about that whenever i go to a restaurant i gotta hope everyone here is having a good day that's why you always always and i'm i'm a big i'm a big believer in this you always say thank you and you all like I I actually go out of my way to try and ask if they don't offer it. I always ask like, "What's your name?" So that if the server does come back or if I need anything or they're like, "Hey, you know, how is everything?" I'm like, "Everything's everything's great, Sarah. This is frequent. Even if it's mediocre ass food, like I want to make sure that I'm not going to be an issue for them." Yeah, you know, I don't I because I know that I know what that kind of situation is like on the other end of it. I know that if you can see somebody walking through that door and you can just immediately look, cause you know, if they would have clocked that, that old lady at the beginning, they all would have been like, Oh fuck. Uh, cause that moment when Devin saw him was fucking picking up the, the, the toy car or whatever. He's like, I oh, fucking customers. And he fucking they lift up and that fucking hags just, Oh, is that what you think of us? I'm like, yeah, lady, that's what we think of. All of you, you're the only reason why I'm here right now. And my kid is with somebody else. It's like, it's your fucking fault. Of course, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, it's just, a you know, it's a good rule of thumb to just be, be positive, treat people well, and just, you know, don't be a prick. That's, a, that's the best life lesson I can give you. Life's quick. Don't be a prick. <laughs> um. I love the the white, I call it the grapple slime that comes out of the zombie's mouth and just like pulls him in. Like that's such a cool detail. I feel like this was not a high budgeted film. So considering they like pulled that off really well, it was neat. Yeah, they had uh Robert Kurtzman doing the effects. Mm-hmm. So that is uh that's definitely uh to their advantage, you know, a guy that's been in the business quite a while and can, you know, really uh Get, get you more bang for your buck. Very true. Uh, Anita getting her throat burst open was a great scene. You know, our employee of the month that, who cares about it so much, she just gets one in the throat immediately. Later, we get the nice gag, Bruce Campbell going, I, I knew they don't always die or something like that. I love when he just gives up, grabs the cheap champagne out of the fridge and just starts going to town. Just like, well, I guess the night's over. Yeah. <laughs> See how fast he fucking crumbled. I liked when he was in the bathroom. That bathroom scene was great too, because it. This is another testament to the 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 lean and mean, no waste in this movie. Like so many gags are set up, and you, in 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 other movies that aren't that mindful, that would have just been throw throwaways. Like when the the truck driver Lou comes back in and he's just got this oh shit look on his face and he's like i've got to park a buick and fucking him devin sawa and uh or uh call him by his character name ken and jonathan are in the bathroom and he's fucking looking for his stash bottle and and jonathan's like you can't do that that's against policy and like (laughs) you're really gonna talk to me about policy right now we've been just dealing with what we're dealing with i need this 
And that fucking bottle breaks, and he's just like, and he goes down and he sees the dude's feet, and he's like, oh shit. And guy comes back in his face. Door the the line comes back around. Did you park that Buick? <laughs> I've never heard that expression before, and yeah, that's fantastic. Parking oh, Buick. I love I love a good poop euphemism. Yeah, they're creative. I think my favorite's one. My favorite is still from Zombieland when Columbus says he's got to take the Browns to the Super Bowl. I, that's that's a- great. That's a classic. I had a I had a boss at a, at a pizza shop I worked at. Uh, he would always say, uh, "Man, I gotta take a growler." And I was like, the first time I heard it, I was like, "You got a what?" He's like, "I gotta take a growler, dude." And he was this old fucking surfer dude, fucking deadhead, like just totally nice guy, like one of the best bosses I've ever worked for. And he was just like, "Yeah, bro, I gotta I gotta take a growler." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "I gotta shit." And I was like, "Why do you call it a growler?" He's like. What you never growled when you shit? I was like, I mean, I grunt. I don't know that I ever growled. He's like, Oh, trust me, this is a growler. I was like, All right, all right, fair enough. And that just and that just became the line. Like, whenever one of us needed to hop off the line, it's like, yo, I gotta go take a growler. And everybody knew you're gonna be a while. <laughs> my uh my mom told me I had a work friend she had who would constantly say that he had to make room. That was his expression. That's very polite of you. Yeah. Well, it is a workplace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this isn't a poop joke, but it is a euphemism joke. I had a work friend at uh, Draft House. His name was Ernest. It was like the first year I was working there. And at Draft House, you know, we were food runners. So we would run up and down stairs like eight, nine hours a day. It was insane. So my feet would hurt often. And I just casually remarked, wow, my dogs are barking today. And he had never heard that expression before. He's like, you're what? What's barking? What do you what do you mean? And I'm like, my feet hurt. Like my dogs are barking. And he was amazed. He had never heard that before. He was he thought I'd like come up with a new phrase. And then every day I saw him, he would immediately ask me, like, hey Connor, your dog's barking today. And I'd be like, not yet, but we'll see, won't we? It it was it was hilarious. <laughs> That's great. That's almost like uh, it's almost like anytime uh, someone who doesn't have English as their first language, when they start hearing those kinds of things, they're just like, "What? <laughs> why? Why are why are you taking the Browns to the Super Bowl? <laughs> what? Uh, aren't they, aren't they a sports team? Where is this team coming from? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's not literally." I mean, it is, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, explaining metaphor to someone who doesn't speak English is 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 interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was surprised at how quickly Michael Jai White got killed off. Like that was such a a shock moment. I thought he was yeah, gonna be, you know, pop in later on, having like cut his way through the horde or something. But no, he's just gone. It's not that that was criminal. I would have loved to have seen him. Stick around a little bit longer, you know, get rid of Brian. Don't need him. Yeah, he does something I've never seen in a zombie movie ever where he fake bites somebody. Yeah, right? Yeah. That was clever. It was also done for cowardly reasons, but it was clever. Oh, yeah, it was a, it was a brilliant way to get rid of some dead weight in the group. But I've never, in all the zombie stuff I've seen, I've never seen someone bite somebody else and make them think it was a zombie. That's brilliant. I think I, I don't, I, 
I'm trying to remember the movie because it made me think about it when I saw it. But like, there's a movie I think where a zombie had like dentures, and I always thought about that. Like, hmm. if a zombie has dentures and they bite you with the dentures, do you actually become a zombie? That is a very good question. I like because that. because unless because unless they're like just full of fucking spit and saliva, like. How do you how do you become a zombie? You can't get gummed into being a zombie, that's for sure. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting little uh little thought there. Yeah, I wonder that about like you know, werewolves, vampires, any curse where it's a bite. If the teeth aren't real, does it does it transfer? That's that's interesting. I'm gonna so, I'm gonna put that in the back pocket. I might use that someday. <laughs> so for any of you people out there that are trying to write a uh geriatric werewolf or zombie or vampire story stop now connor's got this mine trademarked right there you heard me <laughs> <laughs> um i love when it's revealed that they they are not getting holiday bonuses like that was a lie and they're more pissed about that than they are about the zombies well fuck yeah that's the only reason why they even they're there it's like i'm supposed to be getting this money no they're fucking they got fucking jelly of the month clubbed almost <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving the whole year uh i always thought it was I, I thought it's dower dennis who markets a depressed teddy bear like what is the benefit of that toy single dads i don't know <laughs> i mean a suicidal alcoholic teddy bear does not seem like the hot christmas toy of the year no, but at the same time, I mean, you have plenty of other dumbass toys that have come along that have been just the fucking rage. Like, I still remember vividly, like, seeing commercials, or not, not commercials, but, like, news footage of parents beating each other up for fucking Cabbage Patch dolls. Those are the most useless fucking things ever. And parents were beating each other senseless for these things. Senseless. And it's just a fucking doll. Like, it doesn't fucking make any noise. It doesn't pee and poop on you. Like, you don't feed it. It's just there. Like, what the fuck? At least this has some comedic value. My family will still regale me with tales of Tickle Me Elbow. Of how insane. Yeah. I mean, I I honestly cannot comprehend the idea of like a Christmas toy. That's been so like I've never experienced that. I can't I, in my lifetime, apart from like the PlayStation, there's or something like that. There's never been a toy that like I wanted or anybody I knew like wanted so bad for Christmas. There was no Turbo Man in my lifetime. So beating the shit out of each other over a doll just seems so insane to me. But I guess in the 80s, maybe not. I It was, I, I think, because, you know, the, you didn't have, like, the overabundance of things. And it was like, this was, this was, you know, the, your way of, like, keeping up with the Johnsons. Like, if you didn't have this thing, then, you know, I, and, and it still happens to a certain degree today. But I just don't think it's as prevalent because you know society just isn't structured the same way um and you know everything is more widely available 
can come to your fucking door. So all of that, that, that whole landscape has changed. But when you literally had to go to the fucking store and get these things, it really like, it made that scenario that much more likely. I think with the cabbage patch dolls also, weren't they all like individuals? Like, weren't they all different? They had names and stuff. Yes. So you could like, you were looking for like a Dave or they might've all been girls. I don't know. Was there a Dave? I I don't I only remember the garbage pail kids because I fucking loved the cards like that was the that was the shit for me like I didn't I did not care about cabbage patch kids I was all about the garbage pail kids those cards were the fucking bomb I loved them well, my my grandparents had uh one one boy who was the oldest and three daughters so they had to get some cabbage patch dolls so my my grandpa remembers that it's, it's wild like if you ever want to see some fucking chaos like and the opening of krampus reminds me of that like parents just punching each other in the face and there were literal like news footage of fights over those things like look that shit up on youtube if you want to go down a crazy trip down memory lane i love it in stores while that's happening they're playing music like joy to the world <laughs> it's, ah it's perfect fucking wackos America is a walking contradiction. Yes. Constantly, constantly. It really is. Um, I do love the scene where they're throwing away their name tags and talking about like why they're here and ever and Devin Sawa slowly starts to realize that he's a loser when the girl he was he thought he was dating is like, You're like old enough to be my dad. We're not dating. Man, oh you I I I don't have kids and I'm only twenty seven, but I felt that. Oh, trust me, the older you get, man, it 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 only hurts more. Like when you when you see that and you're just like, because you can I have I have found myself looking at like a picture of like a, a girl on Instagram or something, and I look and I'm like, wow, she's cute. And then you're like, and I'm 23, and I'm like, oh fuck. Like I I feel bad just looking like and and you're like an adult. And I'm like, I I still feel dirty just for even looking at your picture now. I'm just shit. <sighs> getting old sucks. Yeah, I I did have one instance that I will tell you about when we're off camera because it makes me look like a creep. But I promise you, I'm not the bad guy here. I'll just say that. Um, yeah, I think about that a couple. Of times. It's going to be a future segment on Filmgasm. Connor confessions. <laughs> I I I don't have a lot to confess, but this one's like, oh, that was a bad moment. Anyway, later. Um, I laughed my ass off when Ruth got excited about the cops coming and then they just plowed right into her. Oh, dude, her, um, her, uh, her line when they were in the office and they were looking at the security cameras and she was like, oh, is it your boyfriend? She's like, no, we're not dating or anything. I was like, oh, you're consensual. Fuck friends. <laughs> fucking cracked me up. It's like, you never expect a line like that to come out of somebody's grandma. But when it does, you're just like, it's immediately that much more funny. That's like when uh, Betty White in Lake Placid was like, you guys are cocksuckers. That's what you are. Or my favorite fucking Betty White line of all time. If I had a dick, this is where I tell you to suck it. I saw that movie with my mom. And she and I were dying, dying. <laughs> fucking like, I was like, that was fucking, that was Betty White. She said, that was fucking, she was in the Golden Girls. And I was like, yeah, that shit's fucking hilarious. Don't tell your dad I, I let you watch this. 
when old ladies and like young children swear, it is the best. Like both opposite sides of the spectrum when they when they aggressively swear, it's just oh, it's it's amazing. <laughs> uh, Jonathan's last stand when he finally snaps when he's on the roof, he's like the customer's not always right. <laughs> just jumps into the fucking chimney. <laughs> Perfect. It's a great moment. Damn right, man. If you're going to go out, go out in a blaze of glory, giving the finger to the people that have made your life miserable. <laughs> I really do also. I really like how the, the, the scene, like that whole area where they're at, like escalates from a little ball of, goo whatever the fuck it is to this giant fucking massive monster that is towering over this fucking burning ass store and then it's revealed that it i mean and and you hear about it throughout the movie but you don't actually see it until the end that this wasn't the only place this shit was happening and you're just like holy fuck reminded me a lot of slither I wonder if there was some inspiration there. There had to be. Uh, I mean, you kind of can't avoid those kinds of things. I mean, I also got reminded of the blob, you know, like where that thing was just becoming a giant amorphous, you know, conglomeration of things. And it was slowly building and and all of that. I mean, it, it had a lot of different elements to it. And I think it was packaged, you know, uniquely enough that it didn't feel like it was just like a blatant ripoff. Oh, no. of, of all the other things you know like it, it it was one of those you know somebody had the inspirations and you could feel them rather yeah. than them just being like slapped in your face and be like see you remember this you remember that you remember this yeah i didn't feel any any negative connotation at all i just you know slither came to mind i've never actually seen the blob so i i couldn't i couldn't conjure that but yeah slither was what came to mind for me and it is so weird when it's just like a giant like they all combine into one giant zombie. I've never seen that before. That was kind of cool. And Brian's like reasoning of like, I can, I can talk to it. Like I understand these people and all of they're just like, yeah, okay, go try it out. Like they know what's going to happen. They just want to get rid of him. Hey, sometimes you just got to let them do what they think is right. It's hilarious though. He's just like, Hey, I understand. You're scared. I'm scared too. And then it just flicks his ass across the parking lot. <laughs> Fitting end for such a prick. Oh yeah. And 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 now we have the chance to get away. <laughs> I do love when when Ken comes back and he's like, "Did you see what happened to Brian?" Or like, "Yeah, like a paper football." <laughs> You're just like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, and then um uh, Chris fucks it up with a forklift to the eye, takes it out, they get in the car, drive to a safe zone. And you see another one in the horizon. Like, this is the end of the world. There's two of them. Oh, yeah. Pretty fucked up. I I like it. I like that it kind of ends ambiguously, you know? I like when a movie actually ends with an apocalypse. Actually, you know, happens. Doesn't happen a lot. I feel like this one counts. Oh, totally. I mean, what what, whatever happens after that, that that world is is never going to be the same again. (laughs) No. For sure. Yeah. Um, here are some film guys and facts for Black Friday. I only have two. Number one, the radio says that the counties of Columbus, Carpenter, Lynch, and Wright have been evacuated. 
This is a nod to four directors, Chris Columbus, John Carpenter, Joe Lynch, and Edgar Wright that served as inspiration. That's cool. I was like when, you know, your inspirations are shouted out. I do that too. It's cool when you can hide a little Easter egg like that. Oh, always. And, and when it's done in a way where it's not ham fisted, it's, it's a lot more appreciative at, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. And number two, for the holiday music in the toy store, in order to find a less expensive alternative to paying for actual Christmas music, the director performed royalty-free Christmas songs on a keyboard using Apple's GarageBand. So he just made it himself. That's cool. Hell yeah. Look, you got to get it done by any means necessary. Yeah. I didn't realize, you know, I never really thought about, like, I guess most Christmas songs are not public domain. Somebody owns the rights to that shit and makes millions. Speaking of, fun fact I just found out the other day. Uh, every year when Mariah Carey unthaws and her song is unleashed upon the world again, she makes two and a half million dollars a year. Oh my God. And since that song was released, it's like $72 million she's made. Oh, the wrong people have money. One song. The song like that's pretty much like become the defining Christmas song over the past 20 years, which sucks. It is. There are very few things in this world that I will attribute. The H word to. I fucking hate that song so much, so much fucking hate it. Ugh. I've never cared for Mariah Carey, and I don't like that she's kind of taken over the holidays. Yeah. <sighs> That's a bummer. Anyway, I give Black Friday an eight. I don't understand the hate. You know, Bruce Campbell didn't play Ash and Bubba Hotep. You didn't give you didn't go ape shit on that one. Uh I think this film delivers exactly what it promises. It's a horror comedy on Black Friday. It's exactly what it is. I'm gonna watch it next year too. Oh, totally. Uh, I also would give it an eight. Um, And if anybody has any reservations about watching this movie and you haven't seen it yet and you've only been paying attention to what other people's opinions are, throw that shit in the fucking garbage along with your Mariah Carey All I Want for Christmas CD and just watch this. Just enjoy it, Um, especially if you've ever had a retail job or been forced to work on holidays because you work in a restaurant you're going to get some in cathartic enjoyment out of this. And I, I really, I really, I really couldn't think of something that would follow up maybe a, a movie like um, blood rage, uh, which is a really great Thanksgiving movie. Uh, then, you know, then putting this on as well. I mean, it, it primes you for the holiday fucking hell storm. That <laughs> is, Black Friday and all of the rampant consumerism that is set upon us and forces us into massive debt, all in the service of getting a five second smile on somebody's face. And you might not even get that. That shit ain't even guaranteed. I know, but I love trying. (laughs) Well, so like me, I am very terrible about gift giving. Um, and it's 
it's not because I don't want to do something nice for somebody. It's, it's just, I just, that's just not in my programming. I've, I would, I've literally told people, give me a list of things that you like and I'll find something on there. That way I can't miss. Cause I've done it before where I've tried to go out of my way and try to think of something. And I've got one of those lukewarm fucking, Oh, and I'm just like, fuck. Well, never doing that again. That's a shame. I'm the exact opposite. I am very good at reading people, especially people I know. I know what they like. I figure it out. I go find it. I give it to them. And I, I hit like 90% of the time. I'm I'm good at that. I get, I got it from my mom. Yeah. Like I already know what I'm I'm sending you guys something this week, and I know for a fact you guys are gonna fucking light up. <laughs> now I'm gonna try very hard to not be a in enthusiastic. Nah, I found something. <laughs> gonna, yeah, I'm going to get a phone call. Oh, damn it. <laughs> well, shit, if you make me call you, then yeah, you, you have definitely done something. <laughs> Not that I don't like hearing your sweet voice or seeing your pretty face. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I love the holidays. I, I love to give. Uh, This was fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what we do, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can send us a message there, or you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. Check out our website, filmgasm.com, where we have reviews, articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every one of our episodes. If you want to support the show through Anchor, you can click on Support This Podcast on your preferred provider. We appreciate it. Next week, our holiday lineup continues with the 2016 home invasion thriller Better Watch Out. A babysitter defends a young boy from intruders, but things are not as they appear to be. Also, it takes place at Christmas time, so it counts. I haven't seen this yet, hence my sparse plot synopsis there, but I'm looking forward to it. Whenever these movies that you know I've, I've been on my radar, but I know nothing about plot-wise, I try to keep it that way until the episode is filmed. Yeah, no, I... I... I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with it. I, I'm like, like I said at the top of this, I'm a, I'm a sucker for holiday horror movies, especially Christmas stuff. I think because of the uh, juxtaposition of a horrible thing happening on such a wonderful holiday that everybody associates with happiness and love and family and friendship and all this stuff, and instead it's covered in blood and mayhem. I really, really enjoy those things. Yeah, juxtaposition is fucking great. I like, you know, when good things happen in bad places and when bad things happen in good places. It makes for quality entertainment. Every Um, time. Every time. Don't miss the 1985 Jim Carrey horror comedy Once Bitten on Fridays Beyond the Bad. The 1948 Italian drama Bicycle Thieves on Oscar Sunday. And an upcoming look at the origins of women's baseball with a league of their own on fake true stories. Until then, treat retail workers with respect and dignity. Remember that a discount on entertainment systems is never worth someone's life and keep watching movies.